Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Gage. Gage is a free and open source test automation tool by ThoughtWorks with a goal of taking the pain out of test automation for acceptance tests. To help with this, Gage supports specifications and markdown, which are easy to read and easy to write. Reusable specifications to simplify your code, which makes refactoring easier and less code means less time maintaining your code. And finally, integrations. Use Gage with your favorite tools and IDEs in the ecosystem of your choice, like Selenium and Sahi Pro, CI and CD tools like GoCD, Jenkins, Travis, and IDE support for Visual Studio, VS Code, IntelliJ, and more. The team behind Gage believes in using web technology to test web applications. Head to gage.org slash jsparty to learn more and give it a try. Once again, gage.org slash jsparty. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. I'm Tim Smith, and today we've got a very special episode for you. K-Ball, Nick, and Suze were on location at Node Plus JS Interactive in Vancouver. They talked with Tierney Siren and Dave Methvin about the proposed merge between the JS Foundation and the Node Foundation, the planning and work that goes into a merger like that, and what it'll mean for both the ecosystem and everyday JavaScript developers. Welcome, those of you who showed up to our JS Party Live edition here at Node.js Interactive. Uh, we are excited to be here with you. So for those who don't know, JS Party is a weekly podcast celebration of the web. We typically record live on Thursdays. Look, we're recording live on Thursday. Here we go. Um, when we're not at a conference, you can actually tune in online, listen to us, interact with us via the Slack channel. Since we don't have the Slack channel here right now, I'm counting on all of you to shout out your questions as we run through. Um, let me introduce who we've got here today. So there are three of us here who are regular panelists. I'm K-Ball. I'll be emceeing today. We've also got Nick Nisi. Hello. And Suze Hinton. Hello. And then we have two special guests here representing the big news of the conference. First, representing Node, Tierney. Hi. How you doing? And representing JS Foundation, Dave Minchin. Hi. We thought that maybe today we'd do a little bit of digging in, making these two guys uncomfortable, and <laughs> find out a little bit more about what it is that these foundations do, why this merger is going to matter, what it's going to do, and kind of just explore for your common developer. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but six months ago, I had no idea that the JS Foundation did anything. Sometimes no I offense. have my doubts, yes. That's, that's pretty brutally honest. <laughs> I mean, well, just because coming in as a developer, I was like, uh, what, what do they do? So maybe we can actually start there. What do you guys do? I know there's value. What is it? Yeah, the, well, foundations uh, in general, uh, well, I'll talk about the JS Foundation in particular. We provide a lot of the services. Um, when you think about open source projects, they generally are created because somebody has a great idea and wants to write some code. And most of the time, the people who do that don't have skills in other parts of what would normally be done if they were, for example, a business, right? Now, they, they don't know how to, um, to deal with trademarks. 
and copyright issues, which open source still has those types of things that they have to worry about. Um, they don't know about the social issues of building a community that will help them in their joyous mission of writing the ultimate open source project. And so those are the places where the JS Foundation can help them in uh, you know, providing advice, mentorship, uh, and, and support, uh, including things like legal, uh, when the, if the need arises, and also help them find the kind of resources that they would want for, uh, you know, for example, they might need some CI servers. They may need uh, access to software. Then normally when they try to go get those things uh, and they're just like a small project, guides might say, well, you know, we don't really offer those things to you. But if you're part of a foundation, the foundation has access to a much larger pool of resources and companies that can help you out as a software developer. And those are the kind of things that we do for our projects in the JS Foundation. And I'm sure Tierney would say the same. For yeah, yeah. I mean, so the Node Foundation is a little bit different than the JS Foundation because it's less, it's technically set up as an umbrella foundation, but it's, we've kind of steered away from that and are just focused mostly on Node. Uh, Express and LibbyV um, are both actually projects in the Node Umbrella Foundation, but it, they are both kind of happy doing their own thing and just being con content and building their own stuff. Um, but a lot of what, you know, uh, we do in the Node Foundation, or what the Node Foundation does for Node is provide a level of stability where um, large groups, like companies, can come and engage with the project and make sure that, um, like, know that there's something that it can fall back on and kind of provide that assurance of stability over the long term. And that we're not just, like, this rogue group of people who are going to go and destroy all their production processes. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, and so the, the foundation kind of provides that level of stability and, and understanding of like, okay, this is like a legitimate thing. It's not going away. Um, and then, you know, that's kind of the external view. The internal view is we get a lot of benefit from um, being able to kind of have this large resource of, you know, we can get things like um, conflict management training, um, which I think the Node Foundation is the first foundation in the LF collaborative projects to do. Um, we're able to have a travel fund. I think we have tens of thousands of dollars dedicated every, or at least this year, and we, the budget is adjusted every year as the usage increases or decreases. Um, but we have tens of thousands of dollars to send collaborators uh, and con contributors to the project to various events like JS Interact or Node Plus JS Interactive or uh, you know any other kind of event that they might be speaking at or they'd be they'd want to go and kind of represent the project. Um, the foundation provides a way for us to do that and kind of support the maintainers. So if I'm hearing correctly, it's one, doing all the things that I as a developer don't want to care about. And two, then providing joint resources and kind of an interface for companies that have money and are used to dealing with other companies to interact with rather than individual developers. I'd say that's pretty spot on, yeah. Yeah, and there's a longer list of things as well, uh, which I think both foundations have, have uh, contributed in various ways. Um, the JS Foundation participates in both the W3C and in TC39, the JavaScript um, group, uh, standards group. And when you think about it, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, between the projects and the two uh, organizations, we're most of the ecosystem that's consuming all of these standards. And we should be having a say in those things as, they, as those standards are developed. Um, in the past, those have been very heavy in the browser writer uh, 
groups. So, you know, controlled by a very small number of companies, not that they have done a bad job in their stewardship, but it's just that when you're on the other side consuming these standards that are being created, it's very important for you to have a voice before they are delivered to you and you're told, eat what you've got. Yeah. Um, especially in the case of the web, where nothing can ever really be taken away, yeah. only stuff can be added on top. Yeah, and I, I think Node's kind of uh, experienced that a bit with like modules. Uh, that's a, a really good example of that exact thing happening. Um, and like, I'm really happy to say that I think I think that specific thing actually got us and the, the member companies who have people who are contributors to send those contributors to TC39 like to work. Uh, on making sure Node's voice is heard at TC39 so we can make sure we're not breaking Node as well. Because Node at this point, I think, is part of the web. One way that I've interacted with the foundation is through contributing to those projects. And one big thing, uh, probably the most visible thing, is um, through the contributor license agreement that you have to sign to do that. Does Node have, the Node Foundation have something like that? And I assume that the, the Joint Foundation will have that going forward? So I think that's all TBD. Uh, in the in the joint foundation, uh, Node Foundation doesn't, sure. uh, and the, I think we do that very like I think that was a very early intentional decision mm -hmm. to not do that. Um, there are some like weird things that come come with that signing a C uh, CLA, um, and there's two sides of that. I think the Node Foundation kind of fell on one side, and the JSF found, fell on the other. And I'm actually really excited to see uh, where you know a new foundation, a joint foundation, kind of lands on that. Because I, I think a, a CLA can be useful. Um, like, if you look at what's happening with Linux, that's a little worrisome. Um, like, I don't want that to have, be happening with Node, but um, at the same time, you, it's not like really, really easy to relicense stuff. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting problem that we're. I'm really excited to go solve. Let's step back for a sec. So, folks who are here at the conference are probably aware of the big news of JS Foundation and Node Foundation announcing an intent to merge, hammering out details and things like that. But uh, for the listeners who are listening to this who haven't been to the foundation, can you give a little backstory about what's going on here? Do you want to start or should I? Okay. Uh, yeah, so the foundation, uh, well, the, the Node Foundation and the JS Foundation um, have expressed an intent to merge. Uh, so this effectively... It sounds a lot more official than it is. Um, it's really just us kind of saying, hey, we have these two bodies that are pretty similar um, and we should be doing more collaborative work rather than kind of working uh, separately. Um, and so, you know, working together also means we have a larger pool of resources. Um, we can kind of collaborate a bit better uh, and, and kind of also build a, a broader home for JavaScript projects uh, and even beyond that. So, you know, that's that's kind of where I'm, my understanding is. That That's my understanding as well. We, yeah. we do, because we have so much in common and because so many people who are using many of the projects in the JSF are also using Node, I would guess the overlap is just about 100%. Um, it makes sense for those communities to collaborate. We're also on the same committees, you know, working on the same committees and doing similar things. So there's just so much, uh, so much that we have in common. And, and even in the non-technical areas, if you think of things like uh, encouraging and promoting the use of open source software in the JavaScript community, helping people become contributors, all of those kind of things, that is all um, independent of the specific project and something that 
it makes sense to try to get that knowledge and 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 spread it out without having to think about oh well this is only for node or only for project x um so i think i i think it's a great thing that we're uh, talking about merging um obviously there's a lot of details to be worked out but uh it, it to me it's it seems like a logical step so one interesting thing about doing something like a merger or any really big change is it kind of gives you a chance to almost reimagine what things could be like um and i know you know talking with folks who've been associated with some of the projects in these different foundations, there's kind of mixed feelings. There's things where they say the foundation was great on this, and there's things where they say, you know, this was kind of a pain in the butt, or this wasn't as helpful as I'd hoped it would be. Um, what are some of the things that, that each of you would like to do differently, given the opportunity for a reset? I don't want to go first. You go first. All right. um, I want a pretty logo. Um, <laughs> you don't like the JSF logo? Uh, it's okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess um, it, it's really hard to say on the, the like on the general situations. I, I think it's um, I like like if you look at the two organizations, as you mentioned, there's a lot of uh, like the Node Foundation gets to focus on that one, the one project, and there's benefits to that because you can specialize and say it's focused on this one project, whereas the JSF has to kind of generalize, which is good in a way, but it's also like you can't focus because you, you have to be careful about being too, uh, you know, too focused on one or two, or two projects. So I would say um, in the merged organization, I think we kind of need to think about how there are going to be some projects that are naturally more active, more in development, and and think about a way to set up tiers of, of especially when it comes to things like funding, you know, how, how we do that in a way that's still fair to the smaller and less known projects, which is, which is where I think, like, that pool of money to create contributors uh, comes from, you know, that they can go across everything, but you might focus some more of the financial investment in, in a small number of projects. Yeah. So from the the Node Foundation side, you know, I, I think that um, there 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 are benefits and drawbacks to being have a, having a sole focus. Um, I think that uh, politics can get muddied into that sole focus a little bit too much sometimes. Um, and so, like having technical things be technical is useful. Um, uh, and you know, having a separation of politics outside of that, because like technical and politics often don't need to collide. Um, they can, but they don't need to, um, at least not to the extent that we've had. Um, and so, you know, beyond that, uh, I, I think that there's just a lot of uh, kind of a, a lot of little things that we can really improve. And we have a lot of experience from Node and the, the Node Foundation, um, both from the foundation side and from the technical side, like very small things that we should have optimized and we didn't. Um, you know, examples are having, one example that I'm super passionate about is having uh, technical people and community people because um, Node has the techn technical steering committee and the community committee. Um, but having those people engage with the foundation at a much more uh, engaged level, like having them participate a lot more in the foundation work, um, I think is going to be super valuable uh, to actually making sure that, uh, you know, everything is working as planned and, and we want to really uh, we're all working together rather than kind of having an us versus them mentality. 
Suze, you had kind of an interesting uh, take on the us versus them and the sort of, shall we say, sometimes raucous relationships between different parts of the JavaScript communities? Yeah. I mean, I think on a surface level, it makes a lot of sense because there's a deduplication of efforts for certain things um, and things like that. But I was also remarking about how, you know, instead of it being like two sides fighting with each other, we're still going to expect a lot of, you know, passionate feelings, but it's going to feel more like a family that's just fighting with each other instead. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you still come together and realize that you have the same intentions and that, that you care about the same things. So it's more like a coalition government rather than a two-party system. <laughs> we, have, we have to get along so that we can create enough people to dislike the people on the other side. So. <laughs> Let's not do that. Okay, well, just, just saying. I, I can see that. I, I definitely, uh, there, there's a history there with yeah. the Node Foundation of having some conflict. And it's difficult coming from a, a relatively yeah. conflict-free uh, organization to kind of understand some of what's going on. And I hope most of that, in any case, is behind us anyway. That, that, um, But also we can come up with an organization that makes it so that some of those conflicts are more in our control, that we don't, yeah. like, I just... I don't see them being as much of a problem. Yeah, future. that's definitely what I was talking about. And I know that modules have been like a super special case, but I imagine that something like this is going to come up again. And and given that it's now become going to become more of a group discussion, it's like what works for both runtimes, what works for both environments. If anything was to come up in the language, or even just if if um, Node.js had a, a you know that community had a certain idea. You know, well, you hope now that the default would be that it would be discussed for both of those different scenarios and that it, it would hopefully prevent something like this happening again because it has taken 10 months, I've heard, to sort of start even reconciling that conversation and being able to plan something from the beginning with, the, I guess, the two sides, which I'm, you know, scare quoting, um, will just <laughs> hopefully prevent that thing from happening that's what i would like to see at least and so you're fighting together for like the one thing instead of trying to smash two things together that never really were compatible yeah and i i feel like that's largely where um both the the node tsc and the node.com community committee are coming from is like this is a really good way for us to kind of uh clear the air for us uh as a as a project because we like we've outgrown ourselves. Uh, yeah. We've gotten way too big for ourselves, mm -hmm. and this provides a way for us to kind of we've we've learned a lot of lessons and like we know like we know some of the things that we've done wrong and like what we can do better. Um, and so I, I think that this is a really good opportunity for like Node as a project to actually make sure that we're um, not cutting people out, not. Uh, putting additional burden on ourselves that isn't needed um, while also making sure that, you know, we're going to be able to continue to grow, um, that we're going to be able to continue to enable other projects. Like Node would be nothing without its ecosystem, without its community. Um, and so I think that this is a good, really good way for us to help ensure that not just the current generation of JavaScript, not just the current framework ecosystem, not just the current module system, but uh, you know, everything that JavaScript can and will be, will be able to continue to be gr uh, growing and, and continue having Node as a part of it. This
This episode is sponsored by our friends at Rollbar. How important is it for you to catch errors before your users do? What if you could resolve those errors in minutes and then deploy with confidence? That's exactly what Rollbar enables for software teams. One of the most frustrating things we all deal with is errors. Most teams either A, rely on their users to report errors, or B, use log files and lists of errors to debug problems. That's such a waste of time. Instantly know what's broken and why with Rollbar. Reduce time wasted debugging and automatically capture errors alongside rich diagnostic data to help you defeat impactful errors. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow. It integrates with your source code repository and deployment system to give you deep insights into exactly what changes caused each error. Give Rollbar a try today at no cost to you. No credit card is required. Our listeners get access to the Bootstrap plan with 100,000 events for free for 90 days. To get started, head to rollbar.com slash changelog. Do you think there's a little bit of FUD around this to a point where, you know, when we talk about the browser, you know, we don't want to break anything, right? It's like what we talked about before, we just add things. And I think that this might be a stereotype, but but traditionally, I think that um, the Node.js community is sort of not had to have adhered to that as much and they're able to rev full stable versions of things and do LTS and that kind of thing. Do you think people are worried that that the the progress um, and the fast progress that Node's always been able to make, which again could be acknowledged as some some lessons as well, do you think that people are afraid that that um, they're going to be slowed down because of this merger? Or? So I, I think that's an interesting question. Um, privately, some people have expressed concerns to me about like, yeah, we have a lot of people um, who have concerns, um, and like this is dramatically increasing that scope. I don't personally agree with that opinion. I think having that kind of broader scope of like, cool, there's currently 15 projects in a year. There will be 50 projects, or you know, however many we kind of have. I think that will actually help Node kind of avoid that problem. Um, but we're we've, we're kind of already there. Uh, we have like graceful FS that won't ever go away. We're not going to be able to get rid of it. Um, and for context, graceful FS is a reimplementation of uh, Nodes FS, uh, smoothing out some of the rough edges. Uh, it, it's not not really great uh, for Node, and we can't break it. Like we can't go break that. And so we've kind of already gotten to that. Don't break the web, except it's don't break the ecosystem. That's a really good point. Yeah, I think there's, it's always the the problem that the more popular you get, the more people are like, even though they can stay on a particular version for a while, they really don't want to invest the time and effort it takes to move ahead. So it's like, no, I want to stay with Node 6 or whatever and just keep giving me bug fixes. Um, and really the web's been like that for like 20 years, right? It's instead of actually breaking it and make people say, you know, you're, you should be moving up. We just keep accommodating it. I think there's less of an issue of breaking things when you're on the server side just because you have more control over the environment. You're not like in a browser mm. where you can't control the browser. I mean, a, a good example of this is like in, in a project I'm working on, we're, we're considering accessibility issues and we'd like to drop IE11 support, but IE11... 25% of the people who access our site with a screen reader are using IE11. So, you you know, that's almost like 
hostile to accessibility. It is hostile to accessibility to, to leave out I-11. So I, I think another thing that's good about getting all the JavaScript projects together is to try to make people understand consequences of things like making you know decisions to drop support for certain things because yes. sometimes it's not obvious to the person in a small project that leaving this out or not testing this can have a great impact on a small community. Agreed. I mean, I've even faced that in personal examples where people ask me why I supported Node 010 for so long. And it's because in an IoT scenario, most people were running Debian and that was the version that came down. And so they didn't even know how to install a more modern version of Node. And so it, it's only recently when it got to the point where my stuff was literally broken in Node 10 that I realized then that you know we had to move forward. But people aren't aware of these edge cases or they treat them as if they're edge cases that don't matter, but they can have such a huge impact on a small amount of people. And I think that we should be thinking about impact rather than just like a straight up number of people. Right, right. Especially because they say, well, they can just upgrade. But the they is sometimes the most vulnerable and least able to move, right? It's the yes. people with nobody helping them maintain that system. And they've got it running in a closet somewhere and the guy set it up for them you know, six years ago. Right. And I, I think you touched on a, uh, I think you touched on a really important thing there of like, when do I upgrade? When do I drop support for something? Um, I was working with Sean Larkin, uh, trying to help him figure out how to drop support for Node 4 and like when it was okay to do that before it went LTS. It, we, there's like no guidance for that. And so I, I think that that's like one really positive outcome that could come from this is like, cool, there's like these, you know, however many other projects, how many projects are in the, I keep referring to this, how many projects are in the JSF? I cannot even give you an, an exact count. It's over 20. Okay. Yeah. So like these 20 plus other projects that want to like consider LTS and like have a similar kind of LTS structure, maybe like if they want to implement their own LTS, having a, like a, a strategy to, on how to deprecate um, like node versions and what they support, that's really useful. Um, instead of reaching out to me and like asking, is it okay to drop it now or is it, should I wait till like, that's not a sustainable long-term thing. Um, and so like that kind of guidance is something that, uh, I, I think is like something that's not necessarily obvious, uh, uh as a result of this, but I, I think it's something that will come. And I, I think there'll be other things like that too. Our local equivalent of a Slack channel was telling me the number is 28. <laughs> See, I knew it Thanks, was me. She looked at me funny. Uh, um, so that actually raises kind of an interesting point when we talk about, you know, possibilities for reimagining this, right? So there's, you know, going back to what we said the foundations do today, they present a legal face, they help with marketing, they help with things, but there's sort of technical cross culture and cross fertilization and information that can happen here. How much of that happens today? And what are the foundations likely to do as a result of a merger to make more of that happen? So my answer to that is, uh, well, my answer to the how much of that happens today is zero. Uh, <laughs> it's two, yeah, within within plus or minus 0.5 of zero. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it can be negative zero point. I'm not exactly sure what negative cooperation. <laughs> I guess we work at odds with each other, right? Um, but uh, we don't do much. Like we don't collaborate and that's honestly like one of the biggest problems that I think Node has had is not having that kind of feedback of like is this useful uh, there's an example of this right now with uh, workers um, workers are a feature that we've implemented in Node 10 uh, that 
that's useful. Like it solves a problem that people have complained about for years and years and years. That said, uh, we're, we're trying to get people to use it. We're, and it's hard. Like we're, we need feedback on, is this useful? Is this API solid? Are there bugs before we can actually ship it? And we're not able, we're like we're, we as individuals are trying to go reach out to people to do it. Like every time, at every opportunity I go tell people you should use workers. The, uh, the key to that is you should follow the rule of the browser makers and just prefix everything with dash WebKit, and then everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that grid had the same problem too. Like so many people were using a bunch of CSS frameworks that smoothed that over for them, that they were having a lot of trouble getting people to just test out CSS grid where this is the, the time where you can have the most impact on this and you never used to be able to do that 10 to 15 years ago when these specs were coming out. And I definitely see the parallels in the workers because people have just gotten so used to not having them now that, that it's very, very hard to say, no, this is your chance to actually make them good. And they want to wait until it's available on every version of Node they have to support so they don't have to write two code paths, yeah. which, right. you know what that does, I mean. So an interesting question here is, what could the foundations do to really affect this? Because I know that, you know, from the project standpoint, a lot of times you just, you want the legal stuff to be dealt with, and otherwise you kind of want to be left alone. And yet, if you're left alone and everyone's left alone, we're all in these little silos and we're not getting it. So what's, what's a potential path forward there, or what are some ideas that, that y'all have, or in the audience, if y'all have ideas, um, for ways to move forward and get more of that sort of cross-collaboration working across these big projects? I mean, so I, I think one of the big things is being in a shared space. Uh, I, I think that's a really important thing. If, at least for Node, it's important because we have a hard time like reaching out. And so having people from a different background coming into Node, like I was talking about this with Suze earlier, of like having the context of IoT is really useful for us because that's an edge case that like, we all talk about apps. We don't talk about IoT. And like, we need more of that. Um, yeah, and I've always traditionally felt like the fun place, you know, like I'm like that weird edge case where we have this ragtag community. But IoT is actually a very serious thing that's happening now in the node space. And I've seen so many talks at this conference this week. And it's, I was like, oh, there's other people out there. And they're actually like making money with this, this as a solution as well. And so it's, it's great that you brought that up earlier because you know, there's a lot of communities like this that just don't feel as though they, they're basically like as influential as they should be to, in order to have a spot at the table. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's something I work to, to kind of abolish. Um, that's a, a, a fear that really frustrates me because like node is for the people using it. And if you're using it, no matter how you're using it, we, your, your input is super, super valuable in making sure we don't break it for you. Like, that's incredibly important. And that's, that kind of comes back to don't break the web. Uh, but, you know, we need to be sure we're hearing from these uh, disparate groups who have very different interests to make sure we're building cool stuff. And, like, all the features we're doing seem to be mostly focused around, like, web forward and uh, web apps and like if there's a, a feature that would be useful for IoT that like nobody else in the world would use except for IoT users cool let's ship it 
I'm very excited that uh, at the very least now we have Node Zero port uh, on the package list for where all the, the tests are run now. Oh. So we know immediately. Because remember Node 4 was particularly painful for us. And I think that's when that's when it was painful enough for us to say something. And now we've actually felt super included as a result of that. We're very, very happy to have that package in there. So um, I think that you make an excellent point. Like I've never thought about Node in the in as uh, you know having missing features for IoT but that's definitely something that I'm now going to think about given that somebody who's has already suggested that to me now so that's great so one of the other things that you know is important there is like node zero port that's a cool project uh, where does that live right now is it just kind of an open source thing that pe disparate people work like people who were totally different backgrounds work on because it's a passion project? Yeah, it's moved around to different organizations on GitHub. <laughs> um, it's now under the official NodeBots umbrella, so it's very much a, a community thing. And we've had a rotation of contributors, but um, there are some people who are working on it right now, like Francis, who has just done an amazing amount of work on it. But yeah, it, it very much relies on people having very specific knowledge. You know, it, this is, you know, one of the biggest native module add-on, you know, uh, libraries, and it takes a lot of time to ramp people up on it. So it is a project that could be at risk. You know, there is a bus factor, and it's, it's, it's pretty small for us. And so, yeah, that's something that we would be looking for support with. And so that, that, that kind of plays into some, one of the things I'm most excited about, about uh, a joint foundation, is like, that sounds like exactly the kind of project that I would want to possibly see, make sure, uh, that I want to make sure this joint effort is a good home for. Because one of the things that I, I think a lot of people in the node side of this um, are concerned about is like everything that already exists. And we're not considering the future of like, cool, we have this stuff now, this isn't the end. Like we're gonna try to make sure this is an attractive and useful thing for projects everywhere. And so things like node serial port it, that kind of project makes sense in this case. And so like getting that feedback from maintainers and from uh, contributors to other projects that aren't, that haven't considered the JSF or the Node Foundation or haven't considered, or like have added, uh, more useful feedback would actually probably be from people who explicitly decided not to join one of the foundations. Because I wanna make sure that this is something that's long-term and sustainable and something that people want to be a part of. Because if you don't have community like that, you don't have anything. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean, the simplest cloud platform for developers and teams. Deploy, manage, scale faster and more efficiently on DigitalOcean. Managing infrastructure is easy for teams, whether you're running one virtual machine or thousands. Use our special link to get $100 credit for DigitalOcean and try it today for free. Head to do.co slash changelog. Once again, do.co slash changelog. So I have some pretty awesome news to share. We are now partnered with Algolia. If you've ever searched Hacker News, Teespring, Medium, Twitch, or even Product Hunt, then you've experienced the results of Algolia's search API. And as we expand our content, we knew that one day we'd have to either roll our own search solution on top of Postgres, or we could partner up with Algolia. And I'm happy to report that phase one of our search is now powered by Algolia. We're able to fine tune our indexing, gain insights from search patterns and analytics. We can create custom query rules to influence ranking behavior, as 
well as improve our search experience by adding synonyms and alternative corrections to queries. Sure, we could build search ourselves, but that would mean we would be busy doing that instead of shipping shows like you're listening to right now. Huge thanks to our friends at Algolia for working with us. Check the show notes for a link to get started for free or learn more by heading to algolia.com. So what goes into making a, a project, a foundation project? Like what, what would uh, Node Zero Port, for example, need to do to become a, a foundation project if it wanted to? What, what are the steps? And I realize that might change through the merger, but... It's a great uh, question, though. Yeah. So do you want to go at this? I'll take a, a, t- a shot at it. I mean, I can tell you that um, that is uh, trying to come up with specific criteria is something that um, the TAC at the JSF started to talk about early on and we decided to punt because everything everything tends to be like looking at a project and thinking about you know what its position is in the ecosystem where it is um, in its life cycle so we had a, a person come to us who was um, proposing that that he join one person really nobody else had contributed um, it was a jQuery plugin for uploading files. And so it was kind of like a pretty narrow focus, but it was also like something where um, they didn't want to really continue working on it. They were looking for a place to put it because they didn't want to leave it on, on the doorstep um, of somebody and say, please take care of my baby. And that's not the kind of projects that, but if it's a, a project that's being developed with a group of people who are interested, uh, and and in particular, I think if it's not a captive of one company, you know, like there are projects that are quite, um, you know, they're quite that are open source, but they're really just owned by one company that controls it. It's in that company's repo, right? So nobody else can land a pull request except for that company because it's in their organization. You mean like Node used to be? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's a perfect example of why it needed to come out because you can't really have a community project that's owned by one company and controlled by one company. It, it could be open source in the license, but it's not really open source in the way that we think of Node today or all of the JSF projects. Yeah. And, you know, to, to, to dig in that, into that question... Um, all of that is TBD. Like we're we're still defining that, and so that's why feedback right now is super super critical. Uh, but there's a lot of prior art. Uh, you know, JSF has prior art, prior art itself. Um, CNCF has a lot of prior art as well. Of they're they're a very very similar model to kind of what we're thinking about at this point. Um, and you know that also includes the the tiering system they have of like I think it's incubator, then something in the middle, then graduate. Um, I believe that's the structure. My, yeah, that's about right. Um, so with that structure, that kind of lends a bit more uh, space to accepting projects at different levels. So Node Serial Port is pretty mature. It's not as big as Node. And I, don't, like, I don't think it ever will be. Um, so that would be a good fit for that like middle tier. It's also the most wholesome community you're ever going to have under that umbrella if that were to happen. <laughs> I would love That's it. That's a plus too, right? 
I mean, if you, if you have like one dictator for life in a project who, who doesn't really even want contributions, yeah. that's not a good project, in my opinion, for, for something like this. But, but you're right. I mean, the rules are still open at this point. Yeah. But I think it's better to accept a project uh, in, unless you think that the reason for somebody giving you a project is simply to get rid of it. Right. Yeah. And so that actually brings up another good thing is, or another thing I'm super interested in helping define, when does a project fall out of the foundation? If a project is dead, if it has nobody contributing to it, if it has no trajectory, if it has nobody using it anymore, like nothing, effectively, if it's not affecting people, how do we define end of life? That's a hard one. It is a hard one. There's there's a couple of questions that I think that we need to ask there. One is, um, what does it mean for a project to be dead? So, for example, uh, one of the projects in the JSF is AMD, the good old original module loader. Um, it's uh, James Burke, uh, I think, may touch the code every once in a while if it really needs something, but it's basically not, it doesn't need anything done to it. I think that the question that a lot of times people want answered is more of a signaling thing. Is this a project I should invest my time or use uh, in my project? And so, you know, the answer to that may be different than is this project, like, dead? Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of projects that don't have a lot of activity but are heavily used. And AMD actually is one of them. Um, so it's really more a question of, you know, would I write, if I was building a new project, would I use AMD? Not unless it was already in the code base. I think it also comes down to just like, does the project still need the foundation as well? It's not just, you know, is it worth protecting, but does, does, you know, is the project able to do everything else, you know, without having to be under that umbrella? And, yeah. and so that's something that a lot of projects will struggle with as well. They could be highly valuable um, projects, but they won't necessarily benefit from from moving um, to become an official foundation project as well. Yeah, if they if they have all their needs met, then then there's not a lot of benefit from joining the foundation. If uh, I think the the time at which I think a lot of projects find it most useful to join a foundation is when they're in a stage of growth. You know, they're becoming popular, they're getting contributors, they want contributors, but they can't manage that process. Um, and they don't really know what they need to do. And that's where a mentorship can really help, um, help them kind of understand how to, how to manage contributions. And, uh, and they can also use the advantage of having some, some marketing of their project and, uh, and working with people who have done this thing before so that they can, can learn how to do it. So let's look a little bit at, you know, if somebody's out there in the audience or listening to us at home, and they're curious about getting involved. What are the different angles at which someone can come in? You know, there's things like, you know, I'm going to come in and look for a project to contribute to. There might be, I'm going to help, or I'm going to look at a conference. I'm going to go to Node.js Interactive. Uh, there might be uh, things that somebody who works at a large company could do to help sponsor and, and that type of thing. Can you talk a little bit about what are the on-ramps to involvement? Yeah, so I, th I think there's multiple kind of levels, and it depends on how they want to get involved. If they want to get involved as a contributor to a project, that project will almost certainly have, um, well, at least in the Node project, I don't know about JSF, uh, but every repo and every working group and every initiative in Node 
has a contributing file um, and also uses a consistent uh, way to mark stuff as a good first issue, which is the good first issue label, um, which GitHub is standardized on now. Um, so we really try to do that at the project level. If you want to get involved at more of the administrative level, um, I'll be totally honest, it's a lot of like chaperoning and like maintenance. Um, it's a lot of administrative work and it's not like glamorous. Um, that's, that's one of the things in Node that's really hard is the glamorous work doesn't get done by a lot of people. It gets done by people who are paid to contribute and that's, that's fine, but it's, uh, it's, it's hard sometimes. So, you know, if you are interested in that, um, you know, that's part of the area I'm interested in just personally. Um, go to, at least in Node, the TSC and the ComCom, there's ways you can begin to get involved there. Um, again, though, that's very administrative work um, and not like necessarily going and invo getting involved in like helping out with events or contributing to core. Things are very distinctly different. At the foundation level, um, if like you want to help have your company kind of come get onboarded, there's people you can talk to. Uh, you know, I know uh, Sir Novotny and Todd Moore. Uh, Sir Novotny is at Google, Todd Moore is at IBM. They are both, have, to me at least, been, they've both been very helpful in getting kind of an understanding of this and also kind of helping have discussions with my company about that stuff. And so, you know, it's, it's a good way to kind of help, helping guide me have discussions. So it's a good way to kind of get involved with if you reach out to board members. And generally, the board members have been very open. And so, you know, that's a really good thing to kind of, uh, a, a good way to go get involved if you want to join a fa the foundation or a foundation. That was, that was a great bunch of points. And every time you said something, I was thinking of something as well that I wanted to add to that. So let me see how many of these I can remember and get in. Um, the, the JSF, uh, when we bring people on, projects on board, we have some kind of basic standards that we set up for them, a contributing file, a code of conduct, um, those kinds of things. Uh, and then part of the mentorship process is to get them a little further into that, having a, a core group of uh, contributors who meets and, and works on the direction of the project so it's not a, a BDFL style of, of project. Uh, on the contribution side, as far as on-ramps, I think one of the things that uh, certainly I have done in the past as a developer is to think of contributions only in terms of code. And there are so many ways that people can contribute to a project that are often overlooked. Uh, answering questions uh, on forums uh, like Stack Overflow. Creating test cases. I mean, a lot of times you'll, get, you'll start to get reports from four or five people saying there's a problem and they're very unspecific about what the problem is. And somebody who actually sits down and writes a test case is worth, you know, a billion dollars to me. Someone who will... Um, uh, update the documentation in non-trivial ways. I mean, it's nice to have people fix typos, but you know, a lot of times there's some heavy lifting to be done. Somebody needs to actually document a new API. Um, all of those things uh, are are important, and those where we definitely where we can use some contributions. On the last point about co uh, corporate at the corporate level, I think that that is a place where foundations really need to focus attention to get more companies involved. There are a lot of people, individual contributors, who are very passionate about contributing to open source. We can help them out the most 
by making sure that their companies feel the same way and that they will get some time out of their busy days so they're not having to go and you know in the evenings and contribute their work in their off hours. So if we can do that and potentially get those companies as members, but at the very least get them so that they're contributing some uh, employees' time, then, then that's going to be a major win and a great on-ramp for both people and organizations. I think one of the, the most important things in there is recognition. Uh, like, to, to kind of drive both of those things, you have to recognize people. Um, and that's one of the things Node is done okay with. It's not done great. And, you know, we have, we have some plans that we're, we're working on to kind of help believe, uh, to fix that a bit. Um, in terms of the new website stuff we're working on, but recognizing uh, contributors and recognizing companies is an important thing to continue to drive that investment you know, of personal time and of professional time. And so, you know, in that, uh, th I think that's something that we can kind of come away with as, as a, a common framework or as a common goal is how, like, what's a baseline level of recognition for our contributors that we need to have um, to make sure we're doing them a service and we're not just benefiting from them without giving something back as well. Yeah, I think that the GitHub green square just doesn't really even begin to cover it, right? And it only covers certain scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, even like the, the GitHub org, like, yeah, I, I've known people who have gone to, to Node to get the GitHub org on their thing. That's, that's like, I'm not faulting them. Uh, but, you know, that's... That's not dry. We're, we're not optimizing correctly to actually get a long-term sustainable project. Yeah, it's a lot of effort to maintain lots of people that come in and out very quickly, but being able to foster deeper relationships with people ends up with higher quality work and less overhead as well, for sure. So we're running a little short on time. Any last questions or takeaways from anyone on the panel or out in the audience? Questions you want answered about Node Foundation, JS Foundation, the upcoming merger? Nick or Suze, any other questions for our two guests? I'm just excited that y'all mentioned Serial Poet. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's, let's work together more on that. Let's try to, try to make this a, a useful thing for Serial Poet. Like, that's a really good example, uh, and I'd love to try to help with that. Yeah, this might actually be a first one to tease it out. That'd be great. Awesome. And I'm just excited to, to see it going forward and to see what comes out of this. Thanks for listening to this episode of JS Party. Assuming you're loving this show, rate, review, or recommend it wherever you listen from. It helps us reach new, awesome people. If this is your first time listening to JS Party, you can find more episodes and our other compelling shows at changelog.com slash podcasts. The edit and mix was done by me, Tim Smith, and the music, as always, is brought to you by the one and only Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks to our sponsors, Gage, Rollbar, DigitalOcean, and Algolia. Bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more about them at Fastly. Com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com and we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to linode.com slash changelog. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Hey.